Hey, this is Pastor Dusty. Thanks for listening to the Messages and Messengers podcast. I hope it's meaningful to you and your walk with Jesus. Enjoy. Good morning, Plymouth Nazarene, in-house and online. I'm Pastor Dusty, and you are loved. So CVS's corporate vision statement was to help people live longer, healthier, happier lives. And then in 2013, they realized that their mission was not lining up with their values. What they believed and how they were acting were not fully integrated. Their words said, we exist to help people live longer, healthier, happier lives. But their stores sold products that caused people to live shorter, unhealthier, unhappier lives. So, starting on January 1st, 2014, CVS committed to stop selling cigarettes or any tobacco products. And if they wanted to be serious about living out their mission, they couldn't sell those products in good conscience. As you might imagine, they lost millions of dollars in profit that first year. But by actually living out what they said they believed, they've done better than ever. What do you think of when you hear the word integrity? If your answer is a word in a corporate mission statement that no one really defines or cares about, but feels the need to put up a poster in the break room, sadly, you're pretty accurate. Uh, I used to define integrity as doing the right thing when no one is looking, or doing the right thing even when it costs you something. And those are both good, but the root word simply comes from integration living an integrated life, where the values you claim to have are fully integrated into your words, your actions, your priorities, and your relationships. Being the same in public as in private. Being the same on Monday morning at the office as you are Sunday morning at church. It's wholeness, not compartmentalization. So in our Shape by a Song series through the Psalms, today we arrive at Psalm 119, the longest chapter in the Bible. It is an amazing piece of literature. It's beautifully written Hebrew acrostic poem. It's the source of countless worship songs, sermon series, and devotionals. But what Psalm 119 really is, is the heart's cry of an integrated life. The author proclaims, rejoices, and even struggles with integrating his love for God, his word, and his ways, and then the practice of living that out in the real world. Here's how he opens this epic song. Look at verse 1. Joyful are people of an integrity who follow the instructions of the Lord. Joyful are those who obey his laws and search for them, search for him with their whole hearts. They do not compromise with evil. They walk only in his path. So the author of this psalm, which is probably King David, is proclaiming that blessing, joy, and favor come from choosing a life of integrity. Uh, It comes from making the often difficult choice of living out the values that we claim to have, even when no one would see if we didn't live them out. So I am not interested in living a compartmentalized life, and I don't think you are either. I'm not interested in a faith that is disconnected from my relationships, my family, my workplace, my priorities, my finances, and my hobbies. If you don't want integrity just to be a buzzword in the corporate mission statement of your life, you'll have to take 
action. We've got to take action if we really want our values to line up with our practical everyday life. And here's what that looked like in the life of a water pump salesman in Oklahoma. All right, so before we get started, I just want to make sure I've got all this straight. You planted underground churches in China. You traded wells to free pygmy slaves in the Congo. And now you're part of the biggest wall project in the world. And you did all of this out of your small pump shop in Oklahoma. How did all this happen? It's a long story. My wife Terry and I were living pretty conventional lives. We were an ordinary family, two kids, a dog, a cat. We'd worked at our water pump company, Pumps of Oklahoma, for our entire life. We were the experts on water pumps in Oklahoma. We pretty much had it locked in for the next 30 years on what exactly this was gonna look like. Building the company, have a little bit extra money, and then just set our lives up for this easy glide path into retirement. One day, one of our customers came into the shop. He said, well, I just flew in from Taiwan. And I said, what were you doing in Taiwan? He goes, well, I was planting churches. And in the most sanctimonious voice and tone that I could muster, I said, well, I'd like to go on a mission trip sometime, knowing that I really didn't want to go on a mission trip ever. And he said, so Dick, you have solar power pumps. We could go into mainland China, and then we could go plant churches, and we could end up getting water to these people. It's scaring the heck out of me right now, because I don't want to go to China and plant churches. I was just saying that, because that's what church people do. Four months later, I'm in southern China, in a really remote village, were able to install two solar pumps where they've never had running water to see what happens when people get clean water, where little girls can go to school because there actually is sanitation facilities at their school, transforms the whole community. When Dick got back, it was obvious that there was so much need in the world. God had placed us where we were in the kind of business that we were in. We knew that it wasn't accidental. From that point on, the safe, easy glide path to retirement wasn't going to be there. So after one of our trips, we determined that solar pumps were too high tech. We needed to invent a new type of hand pump. And so I thought of my old college roommate, Steve. And I hadn't talked to him in probably two years. I came in Monday morning, checked my voicemail, and it's Steve. And he goes, well, my pump went out in my granite shop. And I go, well, forget that. I've been to China three times. I've been to Sierra Leone. I need help inventing a hand pump. We met for lunch, and I told him it had to be able to pump water 80 to 100 feet deep, be built in country, less than $100 in cost. And oh, by the way, I needed it in three months. And he goes, yeah, I'll start tomorrow. So Steve finds a drawing from Leonardo da Vinci from 1498. A couple days later, he finds a patent from England from 1675. He combines the two drawings, and we end up with the Access 1.2 hand pump, which is the pump that we're using today. And the cost is 
that point, we created a new manual drilling method made in-country by the in-country people. We started training and mentoring teams all over the world. If we could help people start their own drilling businesses, their own pump repair businesses, as soon as they were trained, they would just take it from there and solve the water crisis in their communities. We said yes to every project that we came across, and we just kept seeing God show up in every place. Over the course of 10 years now, we've gotten water to a million people. We've drilled 3,200 wells. We've spoken at the United Nations. We're working on the largest freshwater project in the world, the 7,000 well project. We've been to 32 different countries. We have 350 business partners that we work with around the world every single day that get up and start drilling wells so they can feed their families, so they can be the solution to their own village's problems. Quite often, we ask ourselves, how did we get here? It all started just with saying yes to the things that were right in front of us, that are in our everyday life. The only reason it works is because God makes it work. He takes the little that you have and makes it much. probably seen that video 50 times, but those screams at the end get me every time. So did you see where compartmentalizing their business, their faith, and their retirement plans no longer became an option for the Greenlee family? They realized that God had called them to something much bigger than a local pump shop in Oklahoma, where they were very happy. Not only were they given an opportunity to step out in faith and make a global impact, but the Greenleys were given an opportunity to fully integrate their faith with their skills, their work, and their life. And that's something that I'm sure they wouldn't trade that decision for the world. So it's good to ask yourself, what skills or part of your job might God be calling you to integrate with your faith? Just this week, I had one of my favorite type of meetings with someone from our church. Uh, this person loves Jesus, loves the church, and wants to make disciples, but hasn't quite found their spot yet. So sure, we can put you in the nursery or on a lawnmower or in the cafe or whatever, um, but how has God uniquely equipped you to build the kingdom and make disciples? Well, as it turns out, this person's gift for, uh, was an answer to a very specific technology need that we had behind the scenes. So I want to thank this person for living an integrated life, but I don't want to spoil all the details because it'll probably be an interview later this year. So you have to hold on for that one. All right, look at verse 4 in Psalm 119. He writes, You have charged us to keep your commands carefully. Oh, that my actions would consistently reflect your decrees. Then I will not be ashamed when I compare my life with your commands. As I learn your righteous regulations, I will thank you by living as I should. I will obey your decrees. Please don't give up on me. These verses scream of humility, not religious posturing. Did you hear uh, Dick's religious posturing in the video when the guy came in and said, oh, I've been planting churches. Oh, I'd love to do that. And God called him out on it. <laughs> you got to watch your words. Uh, 
In this psalm, the author's authentic relationship with God leads to these real, raw, transparent prayers. He knows the type of life that he wants to live, and yet he also knows he's not living it as consistently as he would like. So what do you do when you find yourself there? You say to yourself, I want to be living this way, but I find myself living this way. I want to be choosing God's ways, but I often end up choosing my ways. Okay, now what? Well, I have a friend who grew up in a passionately Christian home. He loved Jesus, and he was serving him with his talents consistently. As I was discovering a call to ministry as a young adult, so was he. And we spent a ton of time together in prayer and scriptures and worship services. Now, somewhere along the way, he found himself losing the battle to sin more than he was comfortable with. And he expressly said, his words were, if I can't be the type of Christian that I know I should be, why should I even try? He knew God's word. He knew the desire of his heart was to know and to love and to serve Jesus. But when he lost the battle to temptation, he was so defeated, he was ready to surrender the entire war for his soul. So fast forward a few decades, and what became of him? Did he give up on the faith? Not exactly, but maybe even worse. He's become your classic, judgmental, offensive, aggressive, attacking Christian. He spends his time online weaponizing scripture, theology, and ministry causes against other Christians. What a waste of time. And what a genius trick of the enemy. Let each of us guard our hearts that we do not become that type of Christian. So is this friend of mine following Jesus? Well, theologically, he can answer many many trivia questions correctly. He can tell you all the problems with every other brand of Jesus followers that are different than him. But what about, you know, actually living like Jesus lived and doing the type of things that Jesus did? Is he making a space at his table for the hungry, for the poor and the outcast? Is he taking quality time to withdraw and be with the Heavenly Father and then engage crowds in selfless service? Is he humbly serving those other followers of Jesus that are confused and getting it wrong time and time again? I don't know. But I do know I am not going to spend my limited time on earth fighting other Christians on personal preferences or methods. There is a lot of meaningful work to be done. There are hurting, broken people that need to know that Jesus can forgive, heal, and restore them. There are lost and confused people that need to experience the love and the presence of God to hear his call in their life. That's what I'm going to spend my life doing not battling other Christians over things that barely matter. We need more mirrors and less windows. Let me look in the mirror to judge myself, not look through the mirror, not look through the window to judge my neighbor. Will you join me in putting up more mirrors and less windows in the home of your soul? So what are some practical tools to actually following God's ways? Well, the author of this psalm wrote the longest chapter in the Bible about one of these tools. Many chapters in the Bible take just a minute or two to read, 
But this chapter will take you about 15 minutes to read all the way through or listen through, but it's worth it. And let me challenge you to do that. Um, maybe you've never read all of Psalm 119 altogether. Maybe you've seen a couple verses here and there in a devotional, in a song, whatever. Uh, but it's amazing in context. So uh, let me challenge you to do that this afternoon. Uh, you won't regret it. So what pra- practical biblical tool is the author putting his stock in? Well, see if you can pick up on it. Look at verse 9. How can a young person stay pure? By obeying your word. I have tried hard to find you. Don't let me wander from your commands. I have hidden your word in my heart that I might not sin against you. I praise you, O Lord. Teach me your decrees. I have recited aloud the regulations you have given us. I have rejoiced in your laws as much as in riches. I will study your commands and reflect on your ways. I will delight in your decrees and not forget your word. This author is in love with God's word. He is not driven by guilt to trudge through another quick chapter because his rabbi might find out that he skipped a day or ten. He's driven by an intense desire to live into God's ways, not to be directed by a religious system or rules, but by God's very own words of life. Listen to some of the verbs that he uses there. I have hidden your word in my heart. What do you hide? You hide something so valuable that you want it protected. You don't want it taken from you easily. He says, I have recited aloud the regulations that you have given us. He is declaring and agreeing with God's standards for his people. He says, I will study your commands and reflect on your ways. Um, This is what we do every Wednesday down in the Heritage. We aren't learning the scripture for a trivia contest, although I love that. Uh, But we are investing quality time in God's word and then reflecting how it unfolds into our everyday life, our relationships, our priorities, our work, our family, and everything else. So let's close with the most familiar verse from this psalm, which we just sang earlier. Uh, Listen to both sides of this passage. First, there's a proclamation of truth, and then there's a commitment to action. You need both. Psalm 119, 105. He says, Your word is a lamp to guide my feet and a light for my path. I've promised it once, and I'll promise it again. I will obey your righteous regulations. This is where I want my life to be. And this is where I believe you want your life to be, proclaiming God's eternal truth and then making a commitment to taking action in response. Our Wesleyan phrase for this is responsive obedience. We don't live a life of fear or duty to a list of rules, but we live a life of responding in obedience to the guidance of the Holy Spirit. Henry Blackaby wrote a game-changing prayer that I read as a teen, and it absolutely reframed my outlook as a follower of Jesus. He prayed, Lord, I'm not asking you to bless what I'm doing. I'm asking you to help me to do what you're blessing. I'm not asking you to bless what I'm doing. I'm asking you to help me do what you're blessing. And then his most famous catchphrase was, see where God is at work and join in. Do your prayers reflect that attitude? Prayer is not an opportunity to give God a list of chores to complete before our next scheduled appointment. But it's time for us as his children to get into his presence and get a glimpse of what he's doing. 
to pull back the veil so we can see what he's up to so we can join in. That is significantly different. I'll invite the worship team to come back up. So I think that you are in this room or engaging online today because you want to live a life of integrity. I believe that you're the type of person that will not settle for letting your faith on Sunday be compartmentalized from your work on Monday. I believe you're the type of person that wants to love God with your whole heart, soul, mind, and strength. You want your whole self, your whole life to be an expression of your faith. I believe you want to be the type of person that makes your life a valuable offering to the God of all creation. If that describes you, I want to invite you to stand and proclaim this verse with the community today. If you're at home, I invite you to stand and proclaim with us. If you're driving as you listen, sit up a little taller. So if that's you, let's stand and proclaim this together. Psalm 119, it'll be on the screen. Your word is a lamp to guide my feet and a light for my path. I've promised it once and I will promise it again. I will obey your righteous regulations. So as we close, we're going to take a moment in silence to listen for the Holy Spirit to put his finger on something in your life that may not be in line with your values as a follower of Jesus. Remember how CVS said that they existed to help people live longer, healthier, happier lives? But they realized that their actions weren't lining up with their values and they had to take action. In the Christian life, we call that repentance. It's a turning from our ways to God's ways. It's not a one-time event. Repentance is a lifestyle. So let's be silent. Let's listen for the voice of the Holy Spirit and let's commit to take responsive obedience together as God's people. stilled our hearts in your presence. We've heard your word. We've proclaimed it. We've sang it. We've prayed it. But we will not compartmentalize our faith to just doing those actions in a room like this. We want to be people of integrity. We want to be people that live lives fully integrated. We want our work, our faith, our family, our priorities, our values, our actions, our relationships. We want it all to be integrated. We want to love you with our whole heart, soul, mind, and strength. Everything that you've created us as, we want all of that to be an expression of our love for you and our love for people. So we give you full reign today. Use us as living sacrifices. Help us to see what you're doing and to join in. 
we are not praying today for you to bless what we're doing. We're not giving you a list of things to do. We are asking for you to give us eyes to see what you're blessing and for us to have the honor to join in. Give us eyes to see where you're, or give us ears to hear what the Spirit is saying to the church and give us the will to do your good pleasure. Let us take action today for your will. In Jesus' name, amen. Thanks for listening to the podcast today. You can hop over to PlymouthNazarene.com to connect with us further. Thanks. Thanks.